Hey everyone, I'm Sambul Siddiqui, Mayor of Cambridge. And I'm Alana Mellon, Vice Mayor, and this is our weekly podcast, Women Are Here. Hello, it's Friday. Uh, I've never been happier that it's Friday. This was, I felt like the longest week. I actually thought yesterday was Friday almost all day. (laughs) So it was a real shock um, to realize we had a whole nother day in the week, but here we are, we're persevering, we're persisting, we are doing it. We're almost done. (laughs) Women are here. Yes. (laughs) Um, well, so we have like a whole bunch of things to discuss, but I do want to tell you before we get started, I've been watching that, the dropout on Hulu. Do you know what this is about? Yeah. Is it, is it good? You like it? It's, um, yeah. So it's the story of Theranos with, you know, Elizabeth Holmes and it's, um, kind of, uh, kind of, you know, it's, it's shot sort of in a couple of different time frames. Like one, she's like literally being <laughs> incarcerated and then it goes back and like shows her like in her time at Stanford and how she started Theranos. And like, it's just amazing to me to watch how many times along the way that somebody should have stepped in, right? Like either a regulatory agency or a person or something because she was such a fraud. And there were so many people who knew that she was a fraud and they just, it was like that time of like easy money in Silicon Valley, right? Like everybody, it was like Uber, um, Twitter, like everyone's just making all this money. And, um, <laughs> she had, this, I mean, it was, it's, it is really good. Um, I forget the name, the, the name of the woman who, um, plays the main character she's very very good and then oh amanda something sidefield sidefield yes she she um she's doing a really good job playing her and then she ends up like her boyfriend joins the company as coo and it's this guy from lost saeed from lost if you ever watched lost back in the day anyways it's it's really good it's really good i highly recommend it. it's on hulu okay we're gonna have to see it check that out um and then the other thing that's like been going on this week is of course the um senate confirmation hearings of katanji Brown, which by the way i have had like almost a total blockout of like i can't i can't watch it because i'm so traumatized (laughs) by the brett kavanaugh confirmation hearings i haven't been i didn't even watch amy coney barrett's i just couldn't um but i have been watching like on twitter um some of the like some of the more positive highlights like i'm choosing when to like plug in did you see Cory Booker's whole speech I did I did I I was like sobbing yeah no I mean it was so powerful and then you compare that it you know I I saw the questioning from Cruz and Graham I'm not calling them senators because I just feel like they're they're trash (laughs) so they just did like it just it was the question everything they were saying was really just more than problematic but she handled of course she handled it really well you know um i mean yes she's awesome she's awesome it's been i just um fingers are crossed everything goes well i just my favorite part was like watching her daughter behind her like how like proud of her mom she is and how like i was just reading all these things about how like as parents, right? Like as moms, we're so proud of our daughters, right? Like we we see them grow up. We're proud of their accomplishments. We're proud of who they are. But like, 
you don't, you don't really ever see that kind of reflected back, like young women just looking so proud of their mom. Like it was just such a powerful, um, dynamic to watch live, but then there's like that beautiful photograph and yeah. the New York Times photographer took that just kind of went viral. And like, I don't know, I can't stop thinking about like her, um, just looking at her mom like that. And then somebody was saying, I can't remember who it was. One of the senators was saying that um, the daughter had written to President Obama and said, you should nominate my mom. Yeah. So sweet. So sweet. So sweet. So sweet. So I also, like- yeah, I also really loved um, just the story is about she and her husband and their love story. I was like, oh, you know, it's very clear they're very in love, you know. Just a, it's a beautiful family. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really, uh, you know, fingers, like you said, fingers crossed um, that she's confirmed and we can uh, move on from this and that she can start serving on the Supreme Court. Like what, a, yes. what, a, what an amazing time. I <laughs> like Corey it Booker's is. smile. It was just like, he's like, I'm embarrassed. Like <laughs> I'm so joyful. <laughs> and it was beautiful to just see her taking all that in and like her tears and like, I mean, she's getting like these, she's getting such a lack of respect from so many. It's that it was really, I'm just, I'm glad she had that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it spoke volumes to like how much she was trying to keep herself together during some of that vitriol and attacks and right. racist comments. Racist, yeah. Um, but that she allowed herself in that moment to like, let some of that go and then mm-hmm. he gave her that space to do it. Cause he knew that she needed it. Like mm-hmm. the whole thing. I just, my husband was like, are you watching that again? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. It's making me feel happy. So <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I would definitely go back and, and check out the video of Cory Booker's exchange with, um, with Katanji Brown Jackson. Uh, it, it will make you feel good. It will make you feel good. Speaking of feeling good, <laughs> yeah. we um we were in DC for the National League of Cities conference from like like what Friday the eleventh through the, the the Tuesday, and you know we've been to this conference before, and uh, we kept talking about how we were here two years ago, and it was basically we were right like we should be here right, right. before the shutdown, we shouldn't be here. So yeah, my highlight from the the National League of Cities conference was really the cat cafe and the kitten cafe that I <laughs> comes in whiskers that I dragged you to. Um, I, I thought it was a great time. It was a great time. I do think it's so funny that you of that whole trip where we were able to see president Joe Biden in the same room um, that the, that the highlight of the trip was not the president uh, or Pete Buttigieg, but it was rather the cat and kitten cafe in Georgetown, which I had seen in our previous, I think two years ago, um, just walking by and I was like, oh, that's so neat. Oh, and then we had gone out to dinner. So I saw it and everyone that was in there was like so happy. Everyone was had big smiles on their faces. So I went to dinner that night and I remember (laughs) saying to our city staff, like, can we have a cat cafe? And the answer was just like, absolutely not. It's a public health risk. Like it was just like such a downer, (laughs) Um, but I'm glad that we were able to go this time. You know that I do not love cats. So it is a true testament 
to my love for you and our friendship that I went, I held cats for you. (laughs) (laughs) And I, on my camera roll, I must have 1000 photos of you holding various cats. Folks, I was just like, Alana, take this picture, take this picture, take this picture, (laughs) me, take this picture. It was just constant, you know, and you're a good friend. You you just did it. You didn't even, you were just like taking all these pictures, honestly, like now, you know, I did an Instagram post afterwards and people were uh, like, should we have a cat cafe? And a lot of people want it. A lot of people want it. I mean, I did for a moment understand what it's like to be an Instagram boyfriend. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like behind every Instagram influencer is like the boyfriend who's like standing on a ladder with like a light. That's how I felt. (laughs) But no, the whole thing is so cool. Like it's the cats are adoptable. You go in, there was like 30 cats. You go in, you can rent a time between, there was a 30 minute slot and a 70 minute slot. And you can just go and hold cats and play with them. And then if you really like one cat, you can adopt them and they have, uh, you can get coffee, they have drinks. It was crazy. It was a crazy time, but everyone, everyone in there, I've never seen anyone that happy. Well, first of all, I've never seen anyone as happy as you were, but then (laughs) the other people were similarly as happy. It was, um, it was a really good time. I hope I like that. You were like, hi, I'm the mayor of Cambridge. Would you guys like to open another branch in Massachusetts? And they were like, yes, we would. So, well, I was like, I'm here with the vice mayor and we'd like to to talk to you about this anyway. So we've had, we have a lot of uh, other updates. Um, we had the grand green, um, Green Line extension opening Monday, which was a huge deal. Um, it was like a five-hour event, um, and it went really well. I didn't have a clear understanding that it was going to be as long as it was. Um, and I also didn't realize there was going to be as many people there as it was. So we um, like we all gathered at Leachmere, took a bus over to um, the maintenance shed over in Somerville and got on a train and then rode through Union Square to Leachmere. And I got, we got on the, the train and it was like Governor Baker, Lieutenant Governor Karen Polito, Senator Markey, Senator Warren, Congresswoman Clark, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, uh, Mayor Wu, Mayor Ballantyne. Like I was thinking to myself, this is a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of elected officials on one train. It was a little crazy. It was, it was. But it was really fun. It was like, it was such a joyous moment. And I was, the best part for me, I was geeking out at that maintenance facility, like in all the trains everywhere and like how everything gets fixed and everything was so pretty. I I was like, this is, this is like, this is it. That was the best part for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was able to say a quick speech and we kind of talked about how my dad really was, you know, used the Leechmere station and how so excited that there's a new station and that it's been expanded um and he's taken the bus to um 69 and then the green line from Leechmere to copley for the last 25 years so he's happy oh i love that your dad is happy yeah um and then i the next there's like five more stops that are opening up in medford uh starting this summer and fall so it's really exciting to see that kind of come online it's crazy like some of the speeches talking about how long it's been and how long oh. the process was it's like how are we ever going to meet our climate and transportation goals if like 
those five stops took that long. I know. I know. Really, it was like a really like, it was a joyous day, but it was a really sobering kind of reality. 100%. 100%. So, all right. So moving into some of our updates, we've got a COVID update to you, so, uh, to, <laughs> to give to you. So yesterday there were almost 100 cases of new cases in, in Cambridge. So this, the week before last Harvard was on um, spring break. So their first day back, they had over hundred cases. And so that has been contributing to a lot of our case counts, but those um, cases at Harvard have been dropping all week. So I'm not sure uh, where these cases are coming from. Um, but for the week ending Saturday, March 19th, there were 229 new confirmed cases, uh, which translates to a seven day average of 25.5 confirmed cases per hundred thousand residents. This represents a 37 percent decrease in cases from the previous week and a 39 percent decrease in the case rate. So the case rate has fluctuated over the course of this week, as I just said. Um, but the Cambridge Public Health Department and our state partners are really monitoring the Omicron subvariant called the BA2, which the CDC is now estimating accounts for 55.4 percent of new COVID infections in New England as of March 19th. Middlesex County remains in the CDC's low COVID-19 community level as of March 24th, yesterday. Uh, using Cambridge case counts and regional hospital data, Cambridge is in the medium category. I just saw on the Boston Globe this morning, like a map of all the cases and like we're, we're in like the darkest color, like our little thing. And I wonder if it's because we're still doing a lot of PCR testing where a lot of people have moved to obviously rapid tests and those don't get reported. Right. I think that's true. Yeah. And, you know, it's good that our test positivity rate, you know, has been 1.63 um, out of the 40,000 uh, tests uh, of Cambridge residents and the state's positivity percentage during this period was 1.7. So we, again, have had the highest testing rate um, in the Commonwealth. And while we are decreasing demand, we will still have an April um, schedule uh, that will be seven days a week. Um, the appointment only ones through CIC Health, you can make them uh, through seven days a week. And then we have um, the you know, additional hours um, at uh, the Wednesdays, starting Wednesdays in April from two to six at St. John um, uh, Church. So. We'll, we'll still, you know, we're still offering testing, but because of demand, we've lowered it. And then, so it, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think this, um, the last date at Cambridgeside is going to be this Monday, right? We were yes, offering yes. the testing at Cambridgeside, and I think the final date is going to be this Monday. So, um, yeah, you can, you can always make an appointment at CIC cic-health.com slash Cambridge to make those appointments or as Sumble just mentioned on Wednesdays from two to six, there is gonna be a walk-in site uh, in North Cambridge. But it's, you know, it's so, it's interesting to see some of these things kind of go away. Um, you know, like so many memories at Cambridge. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And I think, I do think, you know, we'll probably end up bringing them back, you know, whenever Sure. see anything so that's the good thing it's you can pull back and then always have that so 
we do as of March 5, March 22nd, 92% of Cambridge residents have received at least one dose, 76% of residents are fully vaccinated and 47% um, have received a booster dose. So that booster percentage is getting higher. It's like, it's like inching up though. I feel inching. Like inching, it is. It's like 1% a week or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand the hesitation um, for people not getting that booster. I like there's they're everywhere. They're available. You already got first two. Like let's let's do this, people. Let's do this. Right. So we'll have a full COVID update uh, on Monday night's agenda. And speaking of the agenda, last Monday we had a very light one. Um, we were out by I think seven fifteen or so. But two of the bigger items that we wanted to highlight was um, the first one was around our, our green fleet policy. So the city manager had put in a request to buy a fire vehicle that was a hybrid, not a fully electric vehicle, which then prompted a discussion about the city's green fleet policy, which requires that each vehicle request identifies three options and compares them on the basis of fuel economy and emissions using the US EPA green vehicle guide. So each one of those vehicle purchases has to be approved by um, a green fleet committee and those three options uh, are presented to them and then they approve the one that comes to the council. I have to say this isn't the first time that we've had this same conversation and Councillor Nolan asks every time why are we not going with the most green vehicle which every time is of course a fully electric. I mean I think it's clear uh, that that policy needs to be looked at and adjusted or we'll just continue to be here over and over again. But for this case, since we weren't provided with those options that the Green Fleet Committee was provided with, we asked for this additional information as well as, well as just providing another week for DPW and the fire department to fully explore what options are available to make a more informed decision, as well as I think, you know, you really said this on Monday night, we, we need to have a standardized template of how we see the options that were considered and why the most energy efficient option was not necessarily chosen, right? Like, cause we keep having this sort of circular conversation and I think standardizing how we see the requests will help us um, have these conversations in the future. And I, I do think that our green fleet policy needs to be revisited. Exactly. Uh, so let's see what happens there. We also had um, a discussion around removing impact fees on social equity and economic empowerment applicants. Uh, so these retail locations have to pay a 3% impact fee to the city as part of their host community, community agreement. Um, and there's been some confirmed for SC and EE applicants that their uh, fee, um, uh, there's been concern around these fees and concerns around the viability of these uh, dispensaries that this is too large of a burden and uh, should be removed. And there's also evidence from other municipalities, Massachusetts ones, that the removal of these impact fees would not really have any impacts on the city and removing these additional financial hurdles for our local EE and SC applicants is really uh, an important effort to support their viability during a hard time for brick and border businesses. So um, these fees are intended to cover a cost to the city associated with having these businesses in our communities. And this policy order was brought forward by Councillor Simmons and Councillor Zondervan had put in a substitute. Uh, the, the original order was then placed on the table. The substitute was taken off so that the two councillors could work together and I encouraged them to work together. Uh, and so that what was presented as Monday 
uh, was voted on, uh, came with both their amendments, and it also asked for a report of the SCNEE uh, cannabis landscape, how many were in the pipeline, where they are in the process, the revenue uh, generated date, the amount of time from um, you know, from expressing their interest of getting a, a certificate of um, occupancy. Uh, so we really want to just better understand the hurdles that are associated with opening a cannabis location as an SC or EE applicant so we can really work to remove them where possible. So looking forward to getting um, that update soon. Yeah, for sure. And just removing that impact fee um, for, for those that are opening, I think will really be helpful in determining their long-term viability. So another thing that we talked about, um, which was, oh, actually, is that, I think that's it. Those were the two things that we wanted to highlight. Um, but we do have a, a meeting this coming Monday night. Uh, the agenda also looks pretty light. So there's a couple of things that um, are on there that are of interest. So as everyone knows, uh, in from April to November, we do close down uh, what's called Riverbend Park or Memorial Drive to vehicular traffic for cyclists and pedestrians and for people that hang out. It used to just be that those were on Sundays, but during the pandemic, we opened it up for Saturdays and Sundays. And so there was a policy order, I think late last year, asking uh, two things. One, that DCR consider uh, not just closing on Sundays, but also Saturdays this time as well. And also thinking about extending uh, past um, east on Memorial Drive and possibly opening up more of Memorial Drive for that outdoor activity since it has been such a huge success. Um, but the, the report came back that said that DCR, which is responsible for Memorial Drive, the Department of Conservation and Recreation, is very interested in working to continue to expand the hours which Riverbend Park is open to include both Saturdays and Sundays for the 2022 season. This could potentially involve opening Riverbend Park for the entire weekend from Saturday morning through Sunday evening. So um, in addition, the DCR has indicated an interest of exploring the process that would be required to make these full weekend openings of Riverbend Park permanent, which is really exciting. I think that's some good news. Um, but the other thing that the original order asked for, like I said, was to consider uh, extending it east on Memorial Drive and extending that amount of space that we have on weekends for biking and walking and scootering. The city feels that since DCR is planning to restart their planning and design process for the segment of Memorial Drive between, uh, you know, sort of the Anderson Memorial Drive Bridge, which is at the end of the JFK Street, sort of in the heart of um, Harvard Square to the BU Bridge, it, that that would be the better venue to have that conversation, which I don't totally agree with. Um, I'm a why not both kind of person, but, and I really always feel like the proof is in the pilot, as they say, but the report says, um, quote, this appears to be the most appropriate venue to discuss the potential to expand Riverbend Park further east, since it will include both a community engagement process and an opportunity to evaluate potential physical design changes that might help the support of the expansion of Riverbend Park. As that planning and design process moves forward, we will continue to engage with DCR to ensure that Riverbend Park expansion is part of the discussion. So. Anyways, um, since it's a light agenda, and this is kind of a hot topic, I think it will surely um, be a lively discussion on Monday night. So we'll keep you posted on that. Yeah, yeah. So we also have, um, there will be an item around the city auditor search and kind of that that's, you've updated us a little bit on that search and now we're trying to make it all official and 
uh, he's retiring. Our auditor, who's been with us for over 20 years, Jim Monagle, is retiring May 31st. So the council, is this is their third hire that they have, they, as you know, city manager, city clerk, and our city auditor. So all of them are up at the same time. So it's been busy, busy. So just, just a joyous time. Just a joy. So, so fun. So uh, you and uh, another counselor will be kind of leading uh, that process um, as we, uh, you know, get that, get um, uh, that uh, position filled. So looking forward to more on that. And then you have a policy order around bikes that I'm on. You and I together. Um, So currently there are hundreds of bikes that annually get um, confiscated. They are um, locked to things that they aren't supposed to be locked to. So the, the Department of Public Works and the police department have hundreds of bikes every single year that um, currently the only way that the city disposes of them is through an auction process. Uh, and when I have inquired about this in the past, because there are nonprofits in the city that actually take donated bikes and give them to folks that um, that need them, I have been told that you know the way that we dispose of bikes is through the 30B process and there's no other way for us to do it other than auction. Um, but the, this policy order is asking that we um, look to mass general law, which actually allows for charitable uh, donations of, of items that we no longer need. So there are a lot of, I've been gathering um, sort of all the other municipalities that in Massachusetts that actually have a, a city policy under chapter 30B section 15G, which allows for this, but it just needs to be written. Uh, into the city's policy for us to do this. So um, there's actually, I think I have a list of about 20 to 30 municipalities that do this. And then they give the bikes to a charitable organization that you know their mission is to make sure to get those bikes to folks who need it. So we've got a couple in the city. One who's like my favorite obviously is Cambridge Bike Give Back, uh, Bikes Not Bombs, which operates out of Boston, does the same sort of mission-driven work. You know, and I, I really think that as we are building out these protected bike lanes across the city, we need to make sure that everybody um, who wants to access that new, uh, that new mode of transportation should be able to. So we need to be making these bikes available um, to everybody in the city to get them out and people out of their cars, right? Like, I think it's, it's a really, for me, it's always been um, a difficult conversation when we're building out a, you know, network of bike lanes, we're spending a ton of money, a ton of time on it, but not everyone can access them. So Cambridge Bike Give Back does an incredible job making sure that people have bikes, but having access to these bikes would actually um, be very, very helpful because right now it's like, Sumble, you have an old bike, you don't use anymore, you've got a new one, doesn't fit you anymore. Um, and so you donate it to them, but it's sort of just like kind of this one-off thing. And you know, I worked with Harvard police and MIT police for them to be able to um, donate their bikes uh, to Cambridge Bike Give Back at the end of every school year because lots of people bought bikes because they live here in Cambridge and then they're going back to wherever they live and they don't need them anymore. And there's, I mean, tons of bikes that get left behind um, and those are now gonna go to Cambridge Bike Give Back as well. So it was actually much, much easier to work with Harvard and MIT police than it was to work with the city. So hopefully, um, you know, by, by having a policy, we can get these bikes to people who need them. Yeah, no, it's a great idea. So thank you for leading on it. We uh, had a few committee meetings this week. One was in the Health and Environmental Committee on the Net Zero Action Plan, where we reviewed timelines and 
who was responsible for what areas and whether it was a city council updating policy or CDD staff. Um, everyone made suggestions to update it based on the comments we heard from advocacy groups and the committee voted to send it back to the city council. But in the meantime, CDD staff uh, is going to be working with the chair, uh, Councilor Nolan, uh, to make changes so we have a version we can improve once it gets to council. Yeah, I was at that meeting, although I was not I was not a member. And uh, I made it I made a couple of suggestions just around like how to like look at the net zero action plan and how, you know, just so it's clearer um, for resident stakeholders, but also city council members to understand like where is it that we're supposed to be uh, creating the policy? When do we need to be making it? Um, but it was a really good uh, conversation and thanks to Councillor Nolan for chairing that meeting. The other meeting committee meeting that we had this week was in the Human Services Committee, which uh, was a report on the ad hoc on the homelessness recommendations. Um, I think that was a, a an ad hoc group that you appointed and chair Councillor McGovern was the chair. Members of the ad hoc group were there. Um, they were led by Jeff Olivet and just to discuss the short, median, and long-term recommendations and who's responsible for them and when we should be working on them. It was a really good conversation and I know that a lot of deep work was done in that ad hoc group. But one of the re recommendations was to have a homelessness czar, um, somebody who, you know, someone who's really wrapping their, their arms around this whole issue and taking that role on and maybe reports directly to the city manager and corrals the effort. So someone who's empowered to make those changes accountable to whether or not they happen and have the resources to support those efforts. So we have a lot of talented people in the city working on um, this, uh, you know, working on this and, or like one piece of this. And I will, you know, shout out Liz Menders in the Department of Human Services who does a tremendous amount of work um, on this issue. But uh, I think we do need to have a singular person here driving these recommendations and that is um, reporting directly to the city manager because as one of the task force member or the ad hoc committee members said, you know, like it's it's really sad to be here in 2022 when, you know, he has been working for several decades uh, on this issue and he was like, I never thought that we would be here in 2022, like still talking about this. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, for me, for a lot of people, the onset of the pandemic was really kind of a, a, a time where we all wondered to ourselves, like, why, why are people, like, why are we allowing this to happen in one of the wealthiest cities in the, one of the wealthiest countries in the world? Um, and so I, I appreciate that, that you and Councilor McGovern put together that ad hoc group in these recommendations, I think what needs to happen, right, is we need to not have a report that sits on the shelf, uh, but it becomes a working document and people just start like banging it out. Let's do it. Let's go. Exactly, exactly. So I, I'm going to go back and I made an opening statement at that meeting. I'm going to go back and rewatch it. But um, like, as I mentioned, I went to the a meeting at Walden Square Apartments, you and I have been working on this together around making sure that the owners of Wynn management are really listening to those residents there and making changes. And so, you know, let's coordinate and so make sure that you're at the, you know, be at the next meeting, but there's some, there's good work going on there, but so much more to be done. So much more to be done. We have two committee hearings next week. 
Health and Environment on Tuesday, March 29th, 11 to 1, to hear a report from the Climate Resilience Zoning Task Force. There's also going to be an ordinance committee uh, meeting Wednesday, March 30th, on the wage theft ordinance, which I am a co-sponsor. Uh, yes, like that was postponed, and now it's this Wednesday, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, some other news in the city, of course, my favorite thing to talk about constantly is <laughs> the city manager search, but I just wanted to say we are still seeking applicants for the city manager search screening committee. Applications are being accepted until Thursday, March 30th at 5 p.m. You can access that form at tinyearl.com slash initial screening committee. So this initial screening committee will review uh, resumes and cover letters of applicants that are deemed qualified by our search firm, and then we'll decide who they want to interview virtually. Uh, and then they will, once they interview those, those folks, those applicants virtually, they will get that number down to um, three to four finalists that would be presented to the um, community and to the city council to ultimately decide who will be the next city manager of the city of Cambridge. So if you would like to join your friend, Mayor Sambal Siddiqui on the initial screening committee, please apply before next th Thursday, March 30th. We're, we're looking for lots of, lots of people. We want it to be a really diverse representation of our city um, to ensure that we have an, a number of voices around the table helping us to make this decision. Definitely. Um, so we'll wrap up with a few events we wanted to tell you a little bit about. Tonight, there's a serialist play, festival play, Sorry Wrong Number. It was selected to move on and to the next the, and final round of the Massachusetts Educational Theater Guild State Festival. So that's at 7 p.m. tonight. So I'm going. I'm excited. I, um, I did a lot of festival shows back in my day. So <laughs> this, is, this is a fun one. Um, we also have and the MIT, uh, the Job Connector and the East Cambridge Business Association doing a local restaurant hiring fair tomorrow. So that's um, happening and you can go directly to 792 Main Street um, for that. And that's gonna be, I think from 10 to 11. Um, I think that that was my idea like a long time ago and then just other people actually did all of the work. So shout out, shout out to the East Cambridge Business Association and the Job Connector for just like actually making something happen because I obviously just didn't do it. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's happening. And me too, um, me too. I think there, there's been um, a, a lot of interest, actually. There's a, a lot of people that are going tomorrow. So that's great. Definitely. So what else we, oh, I did want to say there's an international youth conference put together by my office and a bunch of others, including the UN, um, folks from the UN that's happening at City Hall. It was day one today um, and it's going throughout the weekend and it's taking, it's live from Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it was really fun this morning to, I made the opening remarks and there was people from, they're like youth from Nigeria tuning in, from Dubai, from China. It was awesome. That's so, amazing. How many people are there? There's over like in the chamber itself, like less than 50, but over 10,000 um, folks have registered for the conference. Uh, and it's all about mitigating climate change. And so there's people tuning in to throughout the day. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's been pretty fun. I'll, we'll, we'll be writing um, a few more things about you know, what we're learning and what we're seeing, but it's, you know, all about like um, global climate change. So fun topic. 
Fun topic. Well, onto a less fun topic, we wanted to let you know that street cleaning and yard waste pickup resumes next Friday, April 1st. It's not um, an April Fool's Day joke, uh, but I do want to say that um, if you have not signed up for the City of Cambridge text alerts to let you know when your street cleaning is happening, you can go to cambridgema.gov slash services slash street cleaning um, and then just click on sign up for alerts. You put it, are, it knows where you are. It fills in your address. You just put your phone and just click sign me up and you get a text a night before. It's life-changing, it's life-altering. If you are not signed up for that, please do, because otherwise you're like Definitely. me. You're like me, like in the morning, you know, out there with like, like your room <laughs> slippers, um, moving your car <laughs> to like some street down the block. And then you realize that you're wearing your robe and slippers and you aren't just in front of your house anymore. Anyway. Oh gosh, so many stories around that. Like literally so nice. in the shower, like so bad. <laughs> and then you hear, then you hear the truck and you're like, no. Um, and then the other thing, the household hazardous waste collection event. This is a big event in the Mallon household uh, every year. So the first household hazardous waste collection event of 2022 will be taking place on Saturday, March, April 9th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Um, I don't have on here where it is. Do you know where it is? I think it's um, near the one uh, that's at Sydney Street, um, the near my house. Actually, it's on Mooney Street. Never mind, Fifty Mooney Street, folks, which is Fifty Mooney all Street. the way. And I North have Cambridge. to say, yeah, in North Cambridge, it's in the quad. I have to say that I think that the last time we went, we should have gotten there like maybe at eight thirty or eight o'clock in the morning because the line was crazy so plan plan ahead folks plan ahead folks mooney street april 9th 9 a.m just be there at 9 a.m plan ahead as we wrap up i meant to give this recommendation in the beginning but i do want everyone who wants to have to go to a new restaurant to go to source it's not new it opened during the pandemic but i went for the first time um and the owner is daniel um I think it's Ravpan, but he's amazing and he was so gracious and was so welcoming. And um, he's he's it's a great restaurant. So they, their dessert is great, their pizza is great, all their appetizers are great, um, their drinks are great. Definitely check out Source um, sometime soon. So they are in the old Cambridge One location on Church Street, right? Exactly. I like that. That space is so nice. I haven't been in there, but we've definitely gotten takeout there from before before and it is really good my kids call it squirts squirts because the sign <laughs> looks like a q the o looks like a q oh anyway. yeah yeah so now i don't even know i don't even know what source is squirts is uh is what we call it but it is delicious whatever you call it have it for dinner tonight for sure for sure for sure all right well i think that's everything we have for you um we hope that you have a wonderful week and that you enjoy the weekend maybe get outside um get to go to see that crls play tonight because it seems like it's sorry wrong numbers pretty awesome um but yeah if you have any questions or if you have any topics that you want Sumble and I to cover, you can always tweet at us. I'm at A-M-M-A-L-L-O-N. And I'm at Mayor Siddiqui. All right. Well, that's our Women Are Here for the Week. We hope you have a great weekend. And thanks 
as always, for being here and joining us. Bye. Take care, everyone.